Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read and word is proclaimed, help us here with joy and excitement about what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. The famous and luxurious Biltmore House in Asheville, North Carolina. Are you familiar with it? It was uh, originally owned and managed by George and Edith Vanderbilt. An elegant couple known uh, for their exceptional treatment for rich and famous guests. But today, when people summarize the Vanderbilt's uh, management of the Biltmore House, they don't just retell stories of, of how they treated their wealthy guests. They, they also point to the story of how one day George Vanderbilt himself treated a young employee named Bessie Smith. A 2011 article about the Vanderbilts described the following scene that occurred at the Biltmore one day. Smith was a teenager when she began working there, and she was intimidated by its opulence. And who wouldn't be even today? On her first day as a server in the restaurant, she walked into the house's grand banquet hall and, startled by, by the vastness of the room, dropped the tray of monogram china that she was carrying. George Vanderbilt himself, a professional figure with dark hair and slightly curved mustache, rose from his chair as all the guests looked on by now because of the racket, and their eyes begging, what on earth are you going to say about this distraction? But... George Vanderbilt didn't say anything. Instead, he got down on his hands and knees and helped Bessie pick up the mess of broken china that was now laying on the floor. 
And while they were picking it up together, he whispered in her ear, Come see me in the morning. Come see me in the morning. I don't know about you, but anytime the boss ever invited me to come see him in his office, it's usually not a good thing. Or the principal's office, right, Roy? It's usually not a good thing. Bessie Smith, of course, assumed the worst, that she was going to get fired or, uh, or something. But instead, Vanderbilt, the next morning, he, she walked into his office. Instead of firing Bessie, he promoted Bessie. He promoted her to chambermaid so she wouldn't have to carry such a load of heavy dishes. He didn't fire her. He promoted her. The story reminds me of another instance when we as humans could have simply been told, you're fired, but instead we simply had our sins defeated so we wouldn't have to carry such a heavy load. Sound familiar? The load that was carried for us was the cross. Today, we continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and we are talking about kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness lumped together. And just as a reminder, during throughout this uh, series, uh, we are defining fruit of the Spirit as those actions which show evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. So today, we're going to ask the question, does killing them with kindness really work? Does killing them with kindness really work? I want to start with the saying itself. It's a, a weird saying, is it not? And I, I got to, to, and we've all heard it, right? Have you heard that saying before? So I got to looking because I got curious. When I get curious, rabbit holes occur. And, and so I got curious. And so the saying itself, there's a couple of different uh, spots that we can pinpoint as its origins. The earliest one is a, an old English proverb of the mid-1500s. And um, it's, uh, it, it says this, The ape kills her young with kindness. The ape kills her young with kindness. Well, that's not any better than the saying itself, in my opinion. <laughs> and so I said, okay, there's got to be something deeper than this. And, and if we look, we can also find the uh, allusion to something similar to the saying uh, in Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. In Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. <clears throat> Here's my best Shakespeare impression. Here we go. And if she chants to nod, I'll rail and brawl, and with the clamor keep her still awake, this is a way to kill a wife with kindness. <clears throat> yeah. Happy anniversary, you two, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, 
So then I got, I said, okay, okay, there's got to be something scriptural about it, right? You know, there, there's got to be something that kind of backs this up because as we know, everything we hear comes out of scripture, right? Uh, the closest thing we can find out of scripture is actually something that Paul likely would have read and been alluding to when he wrote this passage out of Romans chapter 12. And this is Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. And I want you to hear Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. It says, If your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat, and if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. For you will heat coals of fire on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. I know what you're thinking. That doesn't say anything about killing them with kindness but it has a theological backing that I want to draw us into today. This, out of, this saying out of Proverbs, the speaking about holding coals on your head, or, or as Paul says in Romans, um, hurling coals on their heads, is based on an old Egyptian tradition of carrying coals of fire on top of one's head throughout the town as a sign of penitence, as a sign of, I did something wrong, I need to make it right. And part of that was a public display of coals. But it also has a different meaning. It also has a different context. And this is the context that I want us to focus in today. It also has a basis in the idea of sharing with your neighbor, in sharing with your neighbor. It was believed that when a family was out of hot coals in their furnace, which they kept going all the time because the furnace was the source of life in a home. You can't, couldn't just go to the range oven and click it and there you have heat or fire for cooking or whatever. In the old homes in antiquity, the range, the fire, the furnace did everything. It was the center of life. It was a source of heat, it was a source of food, it was a source of life. And so whenever to run out of hot coals was devastating. And so they would carry large trays on their heads in order to walk next door to ask to borrow hot coals from their neighbor. It was believed that when a family... Uh, the, the family being asked would then have to decide whether or not they were willing or even able to give some of their coals to their neighbor. The question then becomes, is one family willing to sacrifice for the other? This idea of sacrificing for one another is the basis on which our faith is built. God made the ultimate sacrifice through Jesus Christ, and that was for all people. For all people. All God asks of us is simply to replicate and duplicate the love with all people we meet. To replicate and duplicate the sacrifice that Jesus first displayed 
and pass it on to others. When we put that love of God in our hearts, then we are also putting the good of God in our hearts. And that is what we are called to carry with us in our daily living. That is what we are called to carry on our heads, whether it is a tray of coals, a bucket of water, whether it is carrying it with us when we run into somebody at the store, whether it is a simple smile that makes somebody's day and we don't even realize it. Are you with me this morning? There was a woman who always wore a tiny cross pin on, on her shirts. And uh, they were an inexpensive way to witness, she said. And she would purchase a dozen or so at a time. And every time someone commented on her cross pin, she would pull one out and give it away as a gift. And she tells a story that once in a 7-Eleven convenience store, the female clerk complimented her cross pin. So immediately, what did she do? She took it off and went to give it to her as a gift. For several moments... The clerk tried to refuse, finally reluctantly accepting the small gift and quickly shoving it inside her pocket. Years went by, and of course, the woman uh, had forgotten about this one gift because she had given many of those away. And after church one week, she says, a young woman stopped her in the lobby and just said to her, thank you. Thank you. And at first she didn't even recognize her, didn't know who she was. She started trembling as she spoke. And the woman said, the young lady said to her, You probably don't remember me, but years ago you gave me this. She reached into her pocket and pulled out her cross pin. When you offered me this cross, she said, my life couldn't have been any worse. I didn't feel worthy of such a generous gift. But God showed me that He still loved me through you. My life is different today because of what you did for me that day. Folks, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. What she did for that little convenience store clerk was almost nothing. But to that young lady, it meant everything. Something small that you do for somebody today may seem like nothing to you, but to that person, it may be everything. Kindness and goodness, these are more the ambiguous English words that we hear that stem from uh, multiple different Greek words in Scripture. In fact, so many so uh, that, that we can't pinpoint all. And there's at least 39 different Greek words used for the uh, phrases good in Scripture. And t- at least 24 different Greek words used for the word kindness or kind in Scripture. And so I'm going to save you today and not quote all 50-something, whatever it may be, 40, 39 plus 24, whatever that is. Somebody do the math real quickly. <laughs> Thank you. I'll save you today by not not going through all of those. 
But some of the words are used interchangeably uh, for one another. In the, Old, in the New Testament, many words um, describe specific characteristics and behaviors of good people. So many of the Greek words used for goodness uh, may also be words that are used for just, uh, or words for righteous, or words for holy, or pure, and the kind, and kindness. So for today, and for the context of learning what these mean through the lens of what they are as the fruit of the Spirit, if goodness is the general term that we're using today to define all of these, these others, uh, if goodness is the general term, these other specific terms show what goodness means in daily living. Okay? Kindness is how we behave when goodness is what is in our hearts. Kindness is how we behave when goodness is what is in our hearts. Are you with me? Say amen. These, as we have seen with every other fruit of the Spirit, are byproducts of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Kindness defines the work that we do as a result of the good in our hearts. The good in our hearts is a result of our faith in Christ and is a result of our love for God. And we can love God because God first loved us. We have the opportunity to accept the love uh, and replace the sin of this world with good. We can do good because God is good. Good defines God. It is part of who God is. Our behavior, then, is a visible sign of who we are and what we put on the inside. The behavior should reflect, therefore, what? The good of God. Are you with me? Say amen. If you're awake, say amen. <laughs> this was a roundabout one, wasn't it? But I promise we're getting there. Paul says in Romans, when, we, when someone hurts us deeply, instead of giving them what we feel like they deserve, boy, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. Boy, I just want to treat them the same way they just treated me. How many of us want to do that every single day? Paul says, uh-uh. We should love them that much more. What? We should forgive them because forgiveness breaks the cycle of revenge and retaliation and replaces it with reconciliation. We should respond to hurt not with more hurt, but with kindness. Authentic, real kindness also just goes beyond simple gifts or simply being polite. Sincere kindness because of the goodness in our hearts requires concentration. 
It requires a little bit of effort. It means helping others become better people. It insists on personal resources and personal involvement. True kindness because of the true goodness in our hearts requires a true and authentic love that can't be faked, that can't be forged. Because let me tell you, if you try to love somebody fake, they can spot that a mile away. If you try to be inauthentic with somebody, they can pull that mask right off a mile away. Have you ever noticed that? True kindness and true goodness cannot be faked. It comes one way, by way of the Holy Spirit, because it is part of who God is. Therefore, it can become part of who we are. Goodness and kindness involves not only right behavior and a good, authentic heart, it also means, as we see in the scripture, keeping evil out. This is probably the most difficult part. It is our human instinct, as we have already talked about this morning, to treat others how they treated us instead of how we want them to treat us. True or false, the golden rule says treat other people the way they just treated you. The golden rule says what? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. When we do something to someone else because they did it to us, we are paying evil back with evil, and that hurts us just as much, if not more so, than it hurts our enemies. Hello? Our society has corrupted the idea of how we are supposed to treat one another so much by letting actions define actions instead of letting goodness define actions. Folks, we're living in a shoot-first, ask-questions-later world mentality when we are called to forgive first and love always. Hello? Kindness, because of the goodness in our hearts, requires that extra effort that unfortunately not everyone is willing to make. And, to be quite frankly, I don't want to always make it. Can someone say amen? We don't want to always go through that extra effort. It is, the, it is not the natural reaction. Therefore, when kindness and goodness is shown over revenge and evil, it causes the other person to think. Well, I just popped this guy in the nose. What does he expect me to do back? He expects you to pop him back. But what if you don't? What if you don't? And this is just an example. You can use your own example. But it will cause the other person to think. It may make those who hurt us feel ashamed and change their ways. Still, others just get full of themselves and think of kindness as a surrender, therefore making them the winners. You know anybody like that? We all do. 
I hate to break it to them, though, folks. The real winner is the triumph of good over evil in the situation. The real winner is not a person. The, weir- the real winner is goodness. The goodness that comes by way of God through Jesus on that cross because God first loved us. God is love. God is good. How often? The real winners are those who defeat evil with goodness and kindness instead of stooping to the level of battling evil with evil. So here's the question for today. Does killing them with kindness work? Does it really work? Yeah. Absolutely it works. Killing them with kindness works every time that we decide to combat a bad deed with true kindness. Killing them with kindness works when we choose to love those who hurt us. It works when the kindness and goodness that defines God also defines all of us. Darn right it works. (laughs) Do not give into desire to take revenge or retaliate with evil. Instead, retaliate with kindness. To hate the evil is to conquer it by doing good. You know, when we hang on to dear life for those things that are good and those things that are God, we are overcoming evil. We are winning in the situation. All of this will be accomplished to the degree that we allow God to create in us a sincere, authentic, true love. When goodness is what makes us, then kindness is what defines our actions. To us, it may seem like nothing But to someone else, it may mean the world. You ever heard that saying? Trying to think of it so I don't say it wrong. To us, something... To us, something may not mean much in the world. But to someone else, it may mean the world. You see where I'm going with it? I knew I should have wrote that one down because I couldn't think of it on the fly. But you get where I'm going. To us, a moment of kindness may be nothing, but to someone else, it may change their lives. There was a man driving down the road, and behind him came rushing up this vehicle. It got right on his tail and started honking its horn and flashing its lights and trying to get by. No, it was not me, I promise. It's not a true story. He weaved in and out of traffic until he passed the guy, sped down the road. A few miles down the road, the man spotted the same car on the side of the road with a flat tire. As the man passed, he had thoughts like laughing at the man, saying things like, serves you right for the way you were driving there, buster. But... As he passed, something different happened. He felt the urge to stop and back up and go to the man. So he did. He helped the man change his tire, and, 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 and the man said to him, 
I am so blessed and thankful that you were willing to stop and to help me today. My father is on his deathbed and I'm trying to get to him before he passes. You see, I haven't spoken to him in 10 years. And I want to get to him to tell him I'm sorry before it's too late. Would you have been the person who speeds on by and makes the funny faces and says, serves you right? Or would you be the person who stopped to show just a little bit of kindness? Let me ask a different question. What would Jesus do? Jesus would always choose the kindness route. You know, you never know when you just might be the one bringing the cross to someone in their greatest time of need. This is what kindness and goodness is all about. It's about bringing Jesus into the world. It's about being the example of Christ for the world that hasn't seen it. It's about being the image, the feet, the hands the voice of grace and love to someone whom love and grace has been a stranger. It's about someone coming up to you years later and saying, thank you for loving me that day because nobody else would. So how are we being the kindness of Christ because of the goodness of God in the world today? This is the gospel message and this is how we are called to think as we go out of these doors today. So glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.